Welcome to Down with Joe DeRosa. One topic, one hour, one guest. Let me get these plugs out of the way real quick. I will be at Gilda's Laugh Fest in uh, March there. And right after that, I'll be at South by Southwest in March. And my apologies to Indianapolis. Uh, I booked an acting job and will not be uh, there this week, but we're going to reschedule as soon as we can. Uh, so I'll be back. And I'm sorry if for any confusion or inconvenience. And don't hate me because I love you. Anyway, um, today's episode is a very special episode. It's our first ever crossover episode. Uh, Artie Lang, the great and hilarious Artie Lang, a dear, dear friend, is a uh, is the guest today. And I'm excited. And this episode is going to be available both on this podcast and on Artie's podcast, which is called Artie Quitter Podcast. And you can get that on iTunes or uh, you know, you know, the, the usual places. Uh, so check that out if you haven't already. Uh, I'm sure you all know Artie is hilarious and I'm super psyched to have him here. And our topic is laughter because every time I hang out with this guy, it's just, he always says, it's always a lot of laughs. Uh, and it always is. So enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun doing, man. I really had a great time. So here's laughter with Artie Lang. Hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm in San Francisco. I'm at my hotel. I'm at the Mandarin Oriental in San Francisco. Uh, and I'm doing a podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm at Cobbs this weekend. And at the punchline in San Francisco is Joe DeRosa, great comedian, good friend of mine. And good he has a, po- he has a podcast, too. <laughs> Joe has a dog that he brought into town. And my sister's visiting me. And my sister cannot be happier. My sister's with the dog right now. Uh, I think I blame myself for I think how uh, my sister likes dogs I think more than human beings I think because I'm the biggest example of a human being <laughs> I grew up two feet from her you know and, uh, it's hilarious <laughs> she, she, she's more than happy to leave my company to hang with a dog she flipped about the dog it's great because right. I'm, I'm new to it I only, I only had it for like three weeks and I'm just like I love it, but I'm just like, get the fuck away from this. But, but you did you, you, you said you got it. Like, that's a typical, uh, typical uh, comedian thing. The, the idea of committing to caring about something else, you know, right. is uh, very scary to me. Like, I, I, when, I, when I first moved out to L.A., my agent bought me a plant and I put it on the terrace of my, uh, my apartment. And right. I, six months later, she goes, how's the plant? I go, oh, my God, I haven't been out on the terrace. <laughs> Oh, the plant, the plant just died a slow, lonely death. Yeah, yeah. Which eventually, I mean, like you know, especially being an addict and stuff. There, there's going to be mornings where I, I'm not going to get up and, and walk a dog. I had a big, uh, yeah. Here, yeah. I'm going to walk I, a dog in heroin withdrawals. I, I had a. I'm going to throw it off the terrace. <laughs> yeah, you're just pissing into the plant. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just fucking trying to, you know. The, uh, no, I had a, uh, I, I bought a big plant when I lived in Brooklyn. <laughs> that wasn't enough, right? I yeah. Well, and it died. It died in front of me because in Brooklyn I couldn't afford a terrace, so I just. <laughs> it fu- died in front of you. The fucking thing. I had it in my living room, and they were like, "It doesn't need a lot of sun or anything," and it got like spider mites or whatever, like plants get, and it just fucking was just dying in front. It would make yeah. me so sad, right? Like. I so tried to save it. It wasn't working. <laughs> well, how'd you try to save it? They sell you this shit. They're like, 
It doesn't well, sound like it was a big level of commitment to saving it. It was a well. I did what I. They give you the spray. They go spray this into the. They dirt. give you the spray. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's <laughs> you get another thirty bucks out of you. They go spray this on it, and then it dies fast. Well, that's the thing. I, you, you know how much you have to be an extraordinarily kind human being to to care about uh, the life of a plant for longer than like one trip to the store. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if your kids die, you're, you're gonna get you don't you're not gonna get spray and spray it on. You're right. probably gonna take it to the doctor. Right, right. There's right. no plant hospital. No, there's no. Yeah. I, I used to have a bit about it where I was like, plants are the only living things that that are literally just like, yeah, you know, yeah, that just break this brown part off and, uh, and I'm dead. So just throw it in the trash. Exactly. They're the only living things that even vegan vegetarians don't give a fuck about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're, you know, it's living just as much as a cow and is. It's the, it's the only living thing that you can get a fake version of that doesn't creep everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> That and girlfriend. <laughs> I've had a lot of fake girlfriends that don't creep people up. <laughs> people came over and on your couch, you had a real dog, a stuffed dog, and then a fake plant. They'd be like, which one of these makes this guy crazy? I fuck that. I feed that. Sometimes I shit in that. <laughs> but the only thing I give a shit about is the thing I come in, really. Right. I tried fucking the plant. It just wasn't as good. Really. So you never had... How old did, Do you mind me asking? I'm 47. You're 47. So you never had a, you never had a pet in all these years? Nothing? Uh, when I grew up, uh, my sister always loved animals. Uh, my father liked dogs. But my mother was a super clean Italian woman. Like she, she, We barely... Uh, my buddies used to call my house a Japanese restaurant because you had to take your shoes off. And it was like... Right. You know, the, the living room was like a furniture museum. You know, you didn't touch right. anything. And... Uh, Finally, my my parents gave in and got my sister a cat. Okay, when I was about ten and she was nine, and my mother wouldn't let a cat in the house. The most really? domesticated animal on the planet was not allowed in the house. Really, and my father had a garage outside where he kept all his tools that he kept cleaning. He didn't want the thing in the garage, so it was sort of homeless. <laughs> And the first chance it got, I had all these evil friends. I had a buddy. He's dead now, so I don't know. His name was Scott Stetz. I never met a scarier human being in my life. The, la I never, the last thing he said to me was, he said to me, hey, Artie, keep it white. That's the last thing he said to That's me. That's the last thing he said. <laughs> and then how did he die? We were about yeah. 21 years old. He died of a her heroin overdose, oh, I believe. Jesus Christ. Yeah. They All found right. him with like a needle in his head. But um, he, he, buried a in the, he buried a cat up to its head when we were like 12 years old and ran over it with a lawnmower. Oh, oh my God. Like the head came flying out of the side and everything. Jesus like, Christ. Yeah. And he came over my backyard a couple times and I had a chain link basketball net. You know, you see in the ghetto and shit. Yeah. And he would throw the, the cat through the, the net and the cat would like be grabbing on for its dear life. Holy and, shit. Uh, so the first chance the cat got it ran away. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I had a friend who used to take his hamster and he put it in, a, in his uh, dresser drawer uh -huh. and he closed the drawer on its neck and he goes, look how the eyes pop out. Oh my and he God. Would just do that. And then he would put it in a sock and swing it around to yeah. get a ride oh. and then one day he hit the dresser with it and oh. it died. Oh, that is not, yeah, the, 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 the cruelty to animals thing, that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I don't know what Michael Vick did to fucking dogs. I don't know what he did. I don't know what's been proven. I don't want to get sued. I, but I, people have said, like, he, he drowned dogs. He watched people electrocute them. Right. 
you know, if you have, if you could do that to something that's breathing, you're not, a, you're not, you're, something's wrong, man. Like, something is yeah. fucking wrong. I don't care if it's a dog. I, something's, I could not look at a breathing thing, be electrocuted, or dr- I could drown anything. I, I mean, if I saw Hitler, you know, I knew about Auschwitz and shit, maybe I could drown the guy. It's, you know? it's so, it's, it's so, I know, I'd have, I'd have Charles Manson underwater, <laughs> and I'd pull him up, and I'd be like, can you just stop, man? He Don't would make- talk me, just a good yeah. example, Hitler maybe could, Charles Manson could talk me out of killing Yeah, yeah. He could go, listen, I never killed anybody, those crazy broads killed a man. Yeah, it- <laughs> Why am I killing you? <laughs> It'd be like the scene in a casino for me. I'd just be like, don't make me do this. Oh. Just say just say sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll move past it. No, I, you, it's, you see when stuff, especially going up with Italians in North Jersey where I grew up, at any moment, that's what's great about Scorsese movies. We were talking about that, like, especially coming from where I come from. I was a longshoreman for two years. There's there's real dangerous people out there, like truly dangerous human oh, beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and my father was one of them. Yeah, really? like, you know, as, as I got older, I, I you know, I, I realized shit that he, he did and, and, you know, uh, he was a small level criminal, but uh, you know, uh, in North Jersey, well, you know, Chicago, any big city, there, there's, there's guys who are scary motherfuckers and, yeah. and, and you could see when something's escalating, right. escalating. And if there's, and, and like a casino in Goodfellas, there's no voice or reason. Like uh, the scariest line in Goodfellas or any movie ever is when Pesci's leaving with Billy Batson just goes, keep him here. Keep that motherfucker here. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you just feel like going to the guy, get out, leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that that whole sequence is so frightening. The and girl he's with the scared to death. My, my scariest line, good fellas, is when after they kill him. Right. And he's and they're they're like trying to pick him up. And yeah. Pesci is like laughing and crying. <laughs> and he looks at Ray Liotta and he goes, I didn't mean to get blood on your floor. I didn't mean to get blood on your floor. Like, what the When they're digging him up and, and, and Liotta's throwing up. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. what do you want, Henry? The leg and a wing. Now my, my mother's going to make some sweet sausages and peppers later. What do you want? They're throwing $4,000 suits, digging I, up I a know. fucking body. It's brutal. And, uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, the, what I love about Goodfellas is it's all from Henry Hill's point of view. Right. And I got to know Henry Hill a little bit because he did the Stern show. And he always he liked me because he thought I was a crazy Italian gambler. Right. And uh, I had conversations with him on the phone, and he would be drunk, and I would kept going, "Well, what, what's what's true and what isn't?" You know. And, and uh, he goes, "Well, you know, it's all my point of view. If you notice, I'm always not killing a guy." Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, "I noticed that. I brought that up on the show. I said, yeah, it's always like he's always appalled. <laughs> like Jimmy, well, Tommy, what are you doing?'" <laughs> Like I, you know, and I, I say yeah, it's, it's clear that he. You know, I remember him. I lived, I ate, sleep, slept, and breathed Goodfellas as a kid, and uh, and then when I and I, I when I saw the real Henry Hill, and he didn't look like Ray Liotta, he right? More like an older David Mann. I was like, <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. You know, Ray Liotta's from my hometown. I, really, he, he grew up ten blocks from me. Really, and uh, but we're fourteen years apart. He's fourteen years older than me, and we have some mutual friends. My buddy Larry. Uh, his cousin was his best man at the. Leota was his best man at his wedding. Really, and I met Leota in L.A. once, and I told him where I was from. We had the same teachers in high school, and he was. I don't know. I don't know if he was on something. But my God, the entire conversation after I told him I went to the same school, it was like the last half hour of Goodfellas when he thinks he sees the helicopter. He's like real paranoid. Yeah, yeah, you had that teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and he's got that vacant look in his face and those crazy eyes. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I, you know, <laughs> keep him here. Keep that motherfucker here. He always, 
I love Ray Liotta. He always <laughs> interesting looks actor, frightening. Right, he does. I saw him in this movie recently. I'm a big Sam Rockwell fan, and I just yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I I'm love trying him. to do a Sam Rockwell impression. Another one of my impressions nobody fucking gets. <laughs> Ever. Well, that's my theory about it. You know what an original character is? Right. It's an impression of a guy who's not famous. Right. You know, right. Like, yeah. like, you know an original yeah. guy. Like characters I used to do when I did sketch comedy was just an impression of my neighbor that no one knew. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah. and then you're not considered a hack because it's not famous. Exactly. <laughs> but I, he's in this movie called Better Living Through Chemistry. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. So I watched it literally just because we're like, oh, Sam Rockwell. And Ray Liotta's in it, too. And he... Plays like a good dude in it. Right. But every scene he's in, you're just like, oh, he's going to go crazy in a minute. Uh-huh. Like, like, you honestly feel that. You're right, like, you're like right, okay, right. he's going to go nuts. And, and then at, at the end, you're like, oh, no, he was just supposed to be a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> he, he can't pull off. Think about how crazy he must look. He can't pull off playing a guy who's not a killer. Yeah. Like, you don't Pesci. believe it. <laughs> it's like Pesci and Easy Money. It's always two steps away from madness and yeah, Easy Money. Yeah. One of the... Uh, the yeah, yeah. But there's that scene in Easy Money where the whole movie Pesci's oh, like a great well, dude, yeah. and then they're in the strip club. Who am I? I'm the guy to put the toilets in this place, pal. Put the fucking bathroom to this place. Yeah, no, no wonder place stinks so bad. Uh, and he just jumps over the thing, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That movie Easy Money is so fucking great because Ronnie Dangerfield doesn't even try to act. He's just doing his stand-up act, you know, like in every movie, and he's doing that twitch he does on stage. Yeah. The mother-in-law sees him, and goes, "Look at you. You can barely stand erect." <laughs> <laughs> you reek of liquor. <laughs> My daughter is just she's in a living hell. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, you were the inspiration for twin beds. <laughs> he's fixing his tie. He doesn't have a tie. He's fixing the tie. Her greatest line is when she goes, your entire body is bloodshed. <laughs> such, a, such a great line. <laughs> you reek of liquor. I was in a bar recently. Where the fuck was I? Well, that's believable. Yeah, yeah. I was in a bar recently, and I was with these guys that I didn't really know that well, but we were just hanging out, having drinks, and I was hitting that... That level of buzzed where you just want to, you just want, you're happy, you just want to tell everybody stories. Right. And Easy Money came up, and they're like, we never saw it, man. Is it good? And I go, if you don't mind, I'm going to ruin the end for you just to tell you that it's the greatest closing line of a movie (laughs) ever made. I went through the whole ending, and I go, then the last line is, my mother, I I never wanted to kiss her face, I ended up kissing her ass, and it freeze frames. (laughs) And he's got a slice of pizza. There's a who directed that Bill Signorelli who directed all the original like the SNL movie pa- I mean right. uh, commercial parodies right. and he almost directed uh, Beer League he, the movie really? I did. He, he wanted to do it so we, me and Frank Sebastiano who I wrote it with we met him and he loved the script he had some thoughts about it anyway he couldn't do it for some reason and you know Frank ended up doing it and I'm glad he did he did an amazing job but he directed Easy Money there's a there's one shot that makes that movie on another level. The genius of that that aerial shot of the wedding in Staten Island. Right. When you just see everybody right. in that. <laughs> right. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. That shot and then the other shot where I, I always talk about it, I go, that's so well directed. Because in the script it probably just said, 
Alright, I don't want to ruin it, but like it's it's when Pesci first picks up Rodney Dangerfield. Right. And they're driving in the van for like two minutes talking. I got a quick shoot. Yeah. And then suddenly Pesci reaches down into the cup holder. You can't see what he's drinking. And he pulls up the tall boy of Miller. And it's the reveal. And the script probably just said he shows up drinking a beer or whatever. But to to have the the idea to like, no, we're going to reveal that halfway through the scene while the car is in motion. I mean, it kills me. Every Absolutely. time I see it, uh, well, 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 you know when he's uh, just just the one line Catskill jokes that he that he pulls, you know he's uh, he's, he's taking a picture of that that infant kid and the right. and the, the, the parents are like, he's got he's got my nose he's got my eyes he's got my sympathy. <laughs> He's got my sympathy, all right? Uh, yeah. They're driving and he's Pesci swerving all over the road. Yeah. And he, it's the interior shot and Rodney Dangerfield is yelling at him. Then it cuts to the exterior of the van swerving. And you just hear Pesci go, I'm on the yellow line, I told you. Well, you know, the political incorrectness of movies back then, if you show it to someone who was born after like 1984, like I. This, my ex-girlfriend was 25 years old. I uh, I showed her uh, the original Arthur. Yeah. The, the remake with Russell Brand is, is you know, I, I, Russell Brand's a talented guy, I guess. But, I mean, why do it? I just, why do it? Yeah. But I, I showed her the original Arthur, and she she was, it was like a horror movie to her. Like, you know, he's driving out to Long Island by himself, swigging the whiskey, laughing like... <laughs> And he's like, oh, my God, this this is a story about an alcoholic. Well, he doesn't drink and drive, does he? I'm like, yeah, well, this thing, I'm laughing like a maniac. She must look at me like I'm Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. What are you laughing at? Like, Goodfellas is a fucking comedy to me, you the know? First, the first true joke in the movie, the first, like, true set-up punchline joke in the movie is him at dinner with the hooker. And he goes, why are you a prostitute? She goes, my mother died when I was 10. My father raped me when I was 12. And he goes... Now you had two relatively six, good years. Six relatively, yeah, that's six rel- relatively good years. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Man. Well, well, I, I was telling you, I, the movie Slapshot about the hockey team in 1977. Right. Paul Newman right. was the biggest movie star of all time, and uh, the owner of the hockey team he pleads to her. You know, she her, her husband dies, and she's a, a widow, and she's going to sell the team. And he goes to her big mansion to plead to her not to sell the team. Right, and she says no, and he gets pissed off, and he's leaving, and he sees. Her ten-year-old boy, her ten-year-old son, in the backyard, and he sees the kid, and she, he walks back in. And Paul Newman, at the height of his career, says, uh, "By the way, your kid looks like a fag to me." <laughs> she's like, "What are you talking about? I get another man in your life. He's gonna have a cock in his mouth before you can say Jack Robinson." <laughs> Well, the movie semi tough with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> I mean, I was watch. I forgot this line. I, was, I mean, I was offended by this. I, 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 I'm watching it the other day, and uh, you know, he, he's the lead in the movie, and it's him and Jill Clayburgh and, and, and Chris Christopherson, and some guy who wants to give him a book deal says, "Well, I'm interested in athletes. Like, what makes you right. want to play football? Right. Uh, do you love football? No, I don't love football. I just like showering with niggers." Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, I heard that. I, I was startled by that. Was it Burt a- Reynolds said. That in a bit of mainstream comedy. Look at the lo- the longest yards got some hardcore, oh, yeah. like hardcore race racial shit. In. Oh yeah. But now is that a joke in Semi Tough? Is it supposed to be funny? It's a joke. Is- it's a complete like. It, it, yeah. It's more than that, Joe. Right. It's what makes it's what one of the things that makes the guy charming is that he's just <laughs> is that he doesn't care like and he's, just, and, he, and he's trying to like in other words the guy who's offended by racism mm-hmm. is the nerd who right. you want to hate right and Burt Reynolds is this cool guy. Right. Goes, I like to shower with it, and, you, and it's you know, 
some well that's that's like that's like from that all in the family phase right where and I know all in the family they got letters and, and there was controversy around the show people but didn't get it exactly yeah. but the beauty of that show is is in a very comedic way they figure out a way to, to depict like this guy that's clearly like this blue collar racist right and then they pit him against this progressive and both guys make such valid points on either side right but then um, um, Archie goes too far where his point becomes racist yeah. and uh, Rob Reiner goes too far where his point becomes too hippified right. or, or, or bleeding hard right. or whatever. It's just such a brilliant balance. Well, the perfect, I'm glad you brought that up. The perfect example is the episode where Cleavon Little and, and Damon Wilson, the two black guys, break into oh my God. Archie's yeah. house yeah. and Archie got a gun that Edith didn't want in the house. Right. The, the brilliant part about that show, the voice of reason is Edith. Like at the end, it's, she's right. always the real like middle. She represents the logic, and right. she's supposed to be the dope. But in like like um, uh, in that, uh, Rob Reiner says to uh, Cleavon Little, you know, uh, well, you gotta give my father-in-law a break. He he doesn't understand what it's like to grow up, you know, in the ghetto. And, right. and Cleavon Little looks at him and goes, "And you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got a liberal and a big guy." <laughs> And, and they argue both sides of the coin. Yeah. In that one. But, you know, the, the Carol Connor, just because he's always ends up more likable. Th- there's that one episode where uh, uh, the. the uh, was it was it was it meathead? Did Rob Reiner give he gives mouth to mouth resuscitation? Oh no, Archie gives mouth to mouth resuscitation to right. a guy in drag, and I and, never saw that one. Uh, he finds out that it was he thought it was a woman right. having a heart attack, but it was a guy in drag from like some show in the village or whatever. Right. And he finds out that he gave mouth to mouth to a to a man, and he's real insecure about it. And Rob Reiner's going, why does that make a difference to you? You're that, like, you know, right. stop, you know, messed up about that right. in your head? And he goes, what would you have done if you knew it was a man? And Archie goes, I'd have found the fag fireman. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's easy to find. <laughs> I'd have found the fag fireman. <laughs> oh, and then that gets, like, a ten-minute laugh, you know. It does. Well, that was the big argument about the show. Was it people laughing at the candidness and, and truth and right. true to form and reality that it was? Or was it people tuning in to laugh at a racist? Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, For yeah. the wrong reason. Well, I had friends who totally didn't realize it was created by the biggest liberal on the planet. And they agreed with everything Archie said. That's why they liked it. Because right. they, they agreed with him. Uh, you know, it, it's just... It just it, the, what makes him likable is how much he truly loves his wife. It's amazing how, you, you know, oh. the skillful people, you know, when they're writing scripts and creating characters, that's how they, they do it. That That's a skillfully done show the, on every level. The writing's just brilliant. The end of <clears throat> the finale of the show brings me to tears literally every time I see it. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. because in the finale, right? you've seen the finale, right? Where he finally breaks and tells Edith how much he loves her. Right. That's like the final shot. He's crying. She dies next to him. He's crying. Yeah, yeah. No, no, she dies in Archie's place. Oh, okay. She, the last, she's she has a blood clot where she almost dies. Oh, all right. Because he's got her running around. She's supposed to stay off her feet. Okay. And then the final scene of All in the Family is him, they get in this big fight. He's like, why wouldn't you tell me? Right. And okay, she, yeah, yeah, that's that right. She's like scared of him. Yeah, I'm thinking of Archie's place where she actually died. Yeah. And he's holding her slippers. He goes, I, I want one more chance to say I love you. And you, and you, it's, yeah, you can't, you're teared up. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's like in About Schmidt when he's going, he's putting her cream on his face uh, and he's 
smelling her clothes. That's brilliant. <laughs> Jack Nicholson, and that is, yeah, it just pulls that off. You, you know, uh, I, I saw an interview with, um, what the fuck's the name of the guy who wrote that? The guy's brilliant. I love him. Alexander uh, Payne. Yeah, Alexander yeah, Payne. Great. Uh, he said, you know, it was hard. Uh, Nicholson wasn't my first choice. And they're like, why? Why would he goes? Well, when I sat down with, with Nicholson, obviously, when the studio found out he wanted to do it, they're not, you know, you, 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 he's such a big star with the studio. Goes, well, you don't have a choice. Right, Jack right. Nicholson's doing the right, movie. Right. So he said he sat him down. And he said, listen, I, I need you to play a small man. Right. <laughs> you know, do you think you could do that? Like, right. I need you to play a guy who was an insurance underwriter for 40 years in Wichita, right. not Jack Nicholson. Because right. like, if you think of all his roles, even Cuckoo's Nest, he just plays such a charismatic rock sure. star. Yeah. And uh, Nicholson goes, you know, like, I got you. I can do it. Yeah. That's and, great. And he pulls it off. You know? It's what, it's one of the greatest, it might be the greatest Nicholson performance ever. Yeah. Well, it's up there. I, I like the last details, though. Whatever. Yeah, well, it's my, I, sh I shouldn't say it's the greatest, it's my favorite. No, it's great. It's, it's amazing. Because he's, because he's vulnerable in it, right? Right. You know, right, and yeah. it's a side of him you don't often get to see. Like yeah. you get to, you know, like you said, he's he's usually playing the alpha guy that's a little unhinged, right? You know, that's 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 kind of about to come apart or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's playing the devil. Yeah, even as good it as it gets, it, it's like even though he's that neurotic mess, he's still like sort of a cool guy. Yeah, you know? he's a fucking a brilliant, he's playing a brilliant writer. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. The uh, now, have you ever had? Um, you know, we we're talking about controversial humor and whatever, but have you ever had somebody come up? Because it was always one of my favorite bits by Burr when he would talk about, I forget which special he did it in, but when he would talk about somebody misinterpreting like one of his jokes right and laughing for the wrong reason yeah and he goes so then the guy comes up to me after the show and he's like hey man you ever heard this one and then he looks over both shoulders which lets me know the n-word is coming yeah, yeah, you know he's gonna, stick the, <laughs> he's gonna stick the r landing hard <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so have you ever had because you're a country all the time guys just come up for the wrong reason all the time. i did a character on man tv called that's my white mama it was a it was a character <laughs> i played a black mother right um Deborah Wilson, the black chick on the show, she's one of the most talented people I've ever met, but she really believed in psychic stuff. So she went to a psychic in Hollywood after she got on the show, and the psychic watched the show. And the psychic was probably just like a brilliant con artist, I guess. So she goes, I watched the show, and you have a you have a connection to Artie on the show. She goes, I felt that. I fucking felt that. I knew it. Right. I knew I had a connection. Well, what's my connection to Artie? Right. And she goes, uh, the psychic says, he was your mother in a former life. Oh. And she's like, I fucking knew it. I can't wait to tell that motherfucker. She comes into the writer's room. Jesus like we're Christ. having a pitch meeting with, you know, the writers. And she says, she says this out loud. You were my mother in a former life. I knew it. Like, And she wasn't kidding. Like, she right. was as talented and as brilliant as you could be, but as David Herman used to call her, batshit crazy. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so after a while, I wanted to shut her up. And I just started speaking as if I were her mother. Right. You know, like, right. <laughs> motherfucker, get, get the other room, girl. You know? So the writer said, "How can we make this a sketch? It's not offensive." So we, we made it like a WB sketch where. The joke is on the WB executives who put like the Wayans brothers on, and, right. and it would be like their their version of a black comedy. But it, it, so it's white people being offensive. That's right. the only way, sort of from a liberal point of view. Sure. And it's the most it's billed as the most offensive sitcom ever. And I play a white guy who's driving while I'm eating a cheeseburger, and I kill a black woman with my car by mistake. Right. Her soul enters my body, and I take over her life. And it's a sitcom called "That's My White That's Mom." Fucking hilarious. So uh, they made me do like three of them. They want to do a movie with it. I'm like. 
it's not Wayne's World, guys. Yeah. You know, I want to do one sketch. The other two were not as good. You right, know? right. Uh, the first sketch is something I'm proud of because it was real, like, organic. So after that aired, it was kind of, like, really popular on the show. They Coors Light uh, gave us a, 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 a promo thing where we went to New Orleans on Labor Day the second season, so Labor Day 1996, they put us on a boat, the cast of Mad TV on a boat with 400 of their fans. Right. That, that was the building. Coors Light sponsoring this. So it's all these people from Louisiana on this riverboat, and we're on there for three days with them, and we're trapped. It's like there was 400 people on 11 teeth. So this big guy who looks like the guy who raped Ned Beatty in <laughs> Deliverance uh, is there with his wife. <laughs> And this is this this is exactly what Burr's talking about. Uh, he walks up to me and he taps me on the shoulder, real quietly, and he goes, uh, "Hey man, I, I don't watch the show that much. My wife's a big fan." I go, oh, "Thank you, but I'll tell you what I watched the other day. When you do that, nigger mother, I just shit my pants." <laughs> really? And, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. He goes, "When you do that, nigger mother, I just shit my pants." <laughs> and. Uh, I wish I could be more of a hero in the story. Yeah. You know, I'd say, like, I, I, def- I stuck up for, like, you know, what's right. right. I was scared to death of the guy. I said, facts, man. Yeah, you see a rape potentially coming at you in the, in the men's well, I'm stuck on a boat. Yeah. It was the worst promo idea yeah, ever. Stuck. We couldn't get off the boat. <laughs> we signed a contract to stay on a boat with these you're, people. You're stuck on a boat, so that means you're, you're in for a cruise rape. You're three-day raping if you disagree with this guy. You gotta just fucking go. Uh, yeah, man, I'll see you uh, at the bar. Take it easy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it does. It, it happens a lot. You, you realize, uh, no, no, no. And, and people talk to you on the road, and you're like, no, no, you're not. I don't want gay people to die. I don't. <laughs> you're just, I, and if that's what you're getting from this, maybe I should go back to loading trucks because you know. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know exactly. True story. I dated a girl. She was it's from. She was from. It's all bullshit. She was from Alabama, I right. believe it was. Uh, and I took her to Caroline's with me one night. Uh huh. I was real young in comedy at the time. I was probably two, three years in. And um, but I was all excited to be working Caroline. Sure, yeah. Take, Legendary club. Yeah, it was the best, right? And I was I was going to take the, my new girl there, and I was going to impress her because right. I was going to be hanging out with real comics. <laughs> so we get drunk, and she wanted to do improv or some shit. I don't know. Not the worst. <laughs> you got to watch her. You got to watch her rehearse world's worst game with yeah. her. <laughs> Their asshole guy friend that wants to fuck it's her. It's so funny. One of my good friends, Jamie Lee, her boyfriend Dan, who's one of the greatest dudes. He's a big improv guy right, right. in in L. A. And uh, she goes, "Do you want to come to? We were doing a show, or we know we were getting dinner." And she goes, "Want to come to Dan's improv show tonight?" <laughs> and I go, "I go. What are they going to do? Uh, pass a potato around the room so they land on the right occupation?" And, uh, and she's, she's trying to laugh and she goes no seriously it's good and I was like I know I'm well just people who are good at it are yeah. unbelievable he's really good I, 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 I want to actually go check it out because uh, he's really funny but anyway nah, you don't have to so, bullshit that much here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said listen I'm going to go home and make a list of things I'd rather do <laughs> so I'm going to need like four days <laughs> All right, so Caroline's so, in Alabama. I bring her into Caroline's with me, and there's a black comic on the show who I won't name only because I don't want, I don't know if this is disrespectful to name or not, right. but she gets shit-faced, right. and she builds this rapport with this comic through the end, throughout the night, and they're going back and forth, and he's kind of like, oh, you got jokes, you got jokes. So she... 
she, in her drunken, shit-faced state, starts going, listen to me. Oh, no. Don't give me your nigra attitude. Oh. And she starts saying nigra. Oh, God. Like, and, like, for some reason, like. It's too close. They think that's okay. <laughs> Oh, we put the G before the R and the E after the R, whatever the fuck yeah. you spell it. Oh, yeah. And she starts oh, she's saying doing it. a character. Yeah, and she's shit faced. And I, I we, we I, I pull her out of the club. I go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, what, what? Well, I'm having fun. I go, oh, God. you just called my friend. <laughs> she goes, she goes, oh, he can take it. He knows I'm joking. Yeah. He knows I'm joking. I go, let me tell you something. You want to break into the business? <laughs> Lead by calling black entertainers <laughs> negros in, in one of the most renowned clubs in the country. How about that? She Come didn't on. get it. She didn't win a huge fight. I went. Of course, home. she didn't get it. <laughs> of course, she didn't get it. She's from Alabama. And wants to do improv. You have to say out loud. She didn't get it. <laughs> Who do you think you're talking to? I just couldn't believe. Of course. That it didn't register at all. Of course she didn't get it. Oh my god. Yeah, you know. Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to stop by my agent if you have any Jew material. You'd like to right, know. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to bring you up to uh, my agent's office. Do you want to come in and call him Stinky? <laughs> and we can, uh, yeah. 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 No, there's a lot of scary people out there. Look, You know, you right. mentioned before the greatest line at the end of a movie. I'll give you my, my favorite. The greatest line at the end of a documentary is... Uh, and this doesn't have anything to do with anything we're talking about, but it just is in my head and I want to mention it. Uh, because the, the, the easy money thing might be the funniest line ever because of who delivers yeah. it to. But Lawrence Taylor, there's a documentary about Lawrence Taylor. Right. Out right now. John Bon Jovi narrates it. It's John Bon Jovi's best word by far. <laughs> <laughs> and um, being from Jersey, when people call John Bon Jovi like a young Springsteen, I'm like, the guy who wrote Bad Medicine yeah, is a young Springsteen. <laughs> I don't know if I had a hair on that guy. Yeah. Now. I'm now 40. I was like, you guys got the greatest hair I've ever what seen. What the fuck is he doing there, by the way? What a, I, I don't know. I man. know. What, that, what's he doing there? It was, was an he... odd choice to have him in. But um, anyway, uh, you know, they show everything, all the good stuff Taylor did, but all the bad stuff, too. And like, you know, how he neglected his son and he was a cokehead and like, what was both. Right. And at the end, you think he's going to be humble. And the last thing they say to Taylor, he's looking right in the camera, they say, uh, you know, when you die, what would you want on your tombstone? Or what would you want someone to say at your eulogy? And he puts his head down. You think he's going to say something about his kids? And he went, uh, Lawrence Taylor, he was one bad motherfucker. Are you kidding me? I swear to God, I was going to guess that's what he said. And the way he says it, he gets crazy. He goes, he was one bad motherfucker. Oh, that's awesome. That's uh, awesome. That's my favorite ending. That's term. fucking great. <laughs> I love that. I love a guy that's just like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Well, because all the hateful shit you just saw him do, and you think it's good. And you find out that his son had just gotten arrested now, and then you're uh, worried about what's going to happen to him. You think, ah, oh, that's the way he loved his kids. You know, He was yeah. one bad motherfucker. Yeah, the, uh, and he we, was. I remember we watched the uh, Inside Inside Deep Throat documentary. <laughs> Amazing documentary. Yeah. Um, and I like the Linda Lovelace movie they made, but it was it, it was only okay. It was great performances, but I, I didn't love the movie. But right. but uh, the documentary is really t- tremendous. And me and my buddy are watching it, and this whole thing is just you're just watching this lady. Her life is just getting fucking destroyed. It's dark. She links up with this guy that's like beating her around. She starts doing the porn. And right. Then they go to trial, and they're all going. And then she turns on her, and you're like, "Is she? Is she lying? Was she really forced?" Right. But it's a fucking shit show. It's just this. Yeah. This her life just gets ruined. And then the last scene of the movie, <laughs> they're doing the updates, like right. 
so-and-so does this now. So they're like, Linda Lovelace passed away, da 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 And then the last thing is they show a picture of her daughter. They go, five years after her mother's death, uh, you know, such-and-such magazine approached her her daughter to do uh, porn. She declined. (laughs) And my buddy just turns to me and goes, Jesus. What the fuck is wrong with that? People? Is disappointing. Yeah, you're just like Jesus Christ. Ah, the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, you just got to her daughter. She does a character. Hey, you're a nigra. <laughs> I was just spit water all over your mic. I just swallowed fat. Uh, yeah, speaking of funny shit, because you brought up, you told me to watch it yesterday, and I hadn't seen it. I, I, I hadn't seen it, and I went on YouTube today to try to find that Albert Brooks short. Yeah, well, it, and the, I couldn't the, find it. Really? How is that not on YouTube? Do you know uh, what I'm talking about, Dan? If the, the, it's probably the first season of Saturday Night Live. A lot of people don't realize Albert Brooks, um, you know, did the short films for SNL the first couple of years, maybe just the first season. Yeah, well, he does a, a thing where he promos. You know the the upcoming sitcoms right. for the fall of seventy five, and it's just like you know he, he goofs on Three's Company and all this stuff, and it's just hilarious because the Three's Company goofies with these two chicks in a, an apartment, and you just see him in a short like girl's robe in the kitchen, <laughs> whipping eggs, making scrambled eggs. Like, what's my role here? What am I doing here? I don't understand. What's, what, what am I? Why am I here? <laughs> and he plays a guy as a man. Who, a man. It's, it's called a man who loves a horse, and he's just a guy who lives with a horse. And, <laughs> He's just maniacally holding a horse by its reins, laughing like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> How is that? It's a SNL thing. How the fuck is that not on There's YouTube? There's not a lot of SNL stuff on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, you, Real, okay. Maybe I should go to their set. But you know what I did find? And I was fucking crying laughing. He did an interview. When he did This Is 40, he went on Letterman to promote it. Right. And... Uh, this is the premise of the whole interview. He goes, he goes, Dave, I'm just, I'm racked with guilt. I can't, I can't. And Dave goes, why? And he goes, I've been in a room writing a book. I didn't have any stories for you. I've, I didn't experience anything. <laughs> he goes, uh, so everything I told the pre-interview guy to talk to you about, it's a lie. I made it all up. And, uh, Dave goes, well, why would you call attention to this? Just, just, who cares? Nobody knows if you're lying. And he's like, I feel terrible. And uh, Dave's like, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, well, just ask me the question still, and I'll tell the stories. <laughs> and then we'll, and then goes, yeah, but they're lies. And he goes, can you, can you stop bringing attention? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And he goes, call it, just ask the questions. And then let her in the first question. He goes, so I hear you bought a gun. <laughs> Byron, Byron Allen's horrible show, Comics Unleashed, maybe the uh, worst show in the history of television. Yeah. He blatantly sets up, you know, the comic. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Norm told me about this, and I, I found it on YouTube. Uh, he's setting up like, uh, like he goes, uh, like he'll say stuff like, uh, Mario Joyner, I understand you skied for the first time recently. <laughs> he's got a ski story. He looks at John Lovitz, is on the show, and he goes, John Lovitz, I understand you're getting older. <laughs> said to a human being, I understand you're getting older. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, we all kind of are, Byron. Who's the, the, who's the black chick who hosted later for a while? She was like the hot thing. Aisha Tyler? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, Aisha Tyler. She was. She hosted uh, the show later after Bob Costas left and yeah. Carm, Carmen Electra was on. Uh-huh. Carmen Electra said the greatest, like, stupid, dumb, hot chick thing I ever saw. Aisha Taylor is clearly, like, much smarter than her, and she's asking these questions. It's getting kind of boring. And uh, she says, what's the one thing you couldn't live without, Carmen? You know, and you think she's going to say rollerblading on the beach or something? Carmen Electra thought for, like, 30 seconds and went, food. (laughs) 
and she's not being funny. Not even close. If to she being was funny. trying to be funny. That would be, <laughs> exactly. Like, Jesus, you're brilliant. Exactly right. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No, Joe. I promise you, she was not trying to be. Funny. She wasn't trying to. Be funny. I, don't, I don't think she was. Because Aisha Taylor thought maybe she giggled. Went, oh, well, oh, explain that. Oh, that's fine. So you hilarious. need food to live. You think? Aisha, I, I opened for her years ago at Caroline's. She's cool as shit, man. Because she's a smoking hot chick. But she loves drinking whiskey. Yeah. She drinks whiskey neat. And like she knows her whiskey, she plays like Gears of like War. Billy Holiday. Yeah, like like we were talking about Xbox games and shit. She was I was like, Your husband is a lucky fucking man. Yeah, no, yeah, she she was I thought she was uh people gave her unnecessary shit. People get on their high horse in comedy. You know, you mentioned Letterman. My, my favorite parts of TV is, is when, when Letterman's truly bored with a guest. Like, sometimes the, the contempt he has for other humans can't... Like, he can't hide it sometimes, you know? Right. And that's the old Letterman from the NBC days where right. he would just skewer people. Right. It, it's very intimidating doing that show. And Did you ever panel on that show? You no, ever, no. I God, did, you I, have a much too high opinion. Well, <laughs> well yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll make some... Dude, I'm going back next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to step in in the Colbert interim. I did it, like, 12 <laughs> times, and then I must have pissed him off because I haven't been on in a, a few years. But, but you, like, in the last time I did it, he, it was right after that scandal with the chick, and he... You know, during the commercials, people uh, gather around him, and you can tell he just has contempt for everyone around him. He's just over it. You know? oh, that sucks. But one time, Cameron Diaz was on the show, and this was in the CBS days, and she she told a story that he set her up for, and it just went nowhere, and it bombed. It was long, and there's dead silence. There's dead silence, and he's not throwing her a rope. He's just letting her go, and you can tell he's really sadistically enjoying it. Uh, and she's like, and then, and then my friend said, no, you never, your acne looks cute on you, and like, oh, yeah, but, and it just does nothing. And then there's a long pause, and she's kind of smiling awkwardly, and you don't even hear like, and then he just goes with a real goofy look on his face. So how do you like making them movies? <laughs> Didn't know because it was a surprise. You know. Oh my god! Oh my god! Did you ever see when De Niro and Dustin Hoffman were on there? No, but God, now I want to. They were on together. Yeah. And uh, and De Niro uh, might be the worst interview. Oh my! The god. most disappointing single interview ever with Robert De Niro. It's so awkward. It's so <laughs> awkward. And De Niro, they're sort of sitting there. Everybody's all excited. These two legends are sitting there together. <laughs> and Letterman goes, "Now, you, how long have you guys known each other?" And De Niro goes, and uh, he goes, "Well, you know, um." It's uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, I don't know if Dustin remembers this, but uh, I uh, the first time we met, um, I was a waiter and I went up to him in a restaurant and I said, uh, I said I, I love you in this movie. But no, I'm sorry, I'm fucking it up. God damn it, Dustin Hoffman's telling the story. Really? Dustin yeah. Hoffman was famous much sooner than De Niro. Then maybe I'm fucking. In any case, it makes more sense that De Niro. Well, one of the guys is a waiter, right? And he's telling the story, and then he goes, and it's just getting nothing. And then, right. De, De, and then De Niro goes, and it, uh, that was the, that was the night that uh, Bobby Kennedy was killed. <laughs> <laughs> and it right, and it's just it's nothing. That's and he, amazing. And he's like, uh, you know, yeah. You know, and then Dustin Hoffman goes. Well, that's, that's a great story. Let's kill it tonight, Bob. <laughs> just oh takes such a shot at him. And then that gets such a huge laugh. Wow. It's just like, Jesus Christ. You know man. what? It's got to be. Let me do some show business math. It's got to be. God damn it. Because The Graduate was 1967. So Bobby Kennedy got killed in 68. De Niro didn't get famous till like the early 70s. It had to be De Niro as the waiter. I get Scott. Because be. Dustin Hoffman after The Graduate. 
was not waitering somewhere, right? Was he? Was he not? Like, because here's my question. He became. Did, what did he do right you, after? Did it, was it straight into it after the graduate, or was he like? Yeah, he then? went right into uh, Midnight Cowboy. He did the graduate, oh, and okay. like Midnight. He was probably filming Midnight Cowboy in 1968. God, but who knows? Who I, is that old? Yeah, because oh, De Niro didn't. Uh, uh, what was uh, Mean Streets? Was his thing, right? Seventy right. three. Yeah. Yeah, I love trying to figure shit out. I, De Niro did the the uh, Inside the Actor Studio one, uh-huh. and that that uh, that guy who hosted is just like you know kissing his ass, and De Niro doesn't remember anything. The guy's given Lipton's James Lipton's giving yeah. dates. It was in 1973 that you first teamed up with Martin Scorsese. Right? Can you tell us about that? It was 73. Was it 73? Right. Because yes, it was 1973. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, they're asking him. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I remember one time I saw, I'm a big fan of this rapper named Cool Keith. He's yeah. kind of like a spacey rapper, but he's, I love his shit. I ran into him in Katz's what a, deli. What a, great, what a great coincidence that he became a rapper and he, his name happens to be Cool Keith. I know. <laughs> Isn't that nice? What else was he going to do? It worked out perfect. Yeah. I ran into him in Katz's deli and I go, uh, I go, man, I'm a huge fan. And he's like, thanks, man. And I go, what do you have coming out? And he goes, oh, I got this new record coming out. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> We go, whoa, what's his name produced it? Who's that dude, man? And I literally go, hey, it's your record, man. <laughs> what's, what's that dude? You want me to show you what? Cool Keith, where cats is deli. You want me to start naming record producers? <laughs> Quincy Jones, no. Yeah. Pharrell, no. Puff Daddy. <laughs> so funny it didn't even phase him he's like what's that guy's name yeah. I was like I don't know because he just stopped caring <laughs> but, but but James Lipton at the end you know where he asked that questionnaire right. from the French guy yeah the great yeah the great whatever haha seven questions of like the seven simplest questions of all time he says to De Niro what's your favorite curse word and all those people they, they, they make up like darn it or damn they try to be funny and De Niro uh, uh, thinks and he goes oh, I don't know cocksucker motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> That's great. Did you see the lemon one? No, Lemon's, Jack Lemon. Yeah, Lemon's... Oh, God, uh, he might, James, Lipton, uh, James Lipton kisses, like, the cast of Baywatch's ass. What yeah. is he doing, Jack Lemon? I mean, he's, I think he was masturbating under the table. The he table had kept popping up. But he goes, uh, he goes, what's your favorite swear word? And uh, Jack Lemon looks at his wife, and he goes, uh... And he looks it over his wife, and he goes, uh, can I, honey? <laughs> she goes, yeah. And he goes, okay. Cocksucker motherfucker. <laughs> goes nuts. Why not? Of course. They went nuts, man. Jack Lemon just said cocksucker motherfucker. Dick Cavett. I met Dick Cavett once uh, at a comedy festival. Yeah. And uh, it was the greatest meeting. It was the greatest way to meet Dick Cavett ever. Right. Because he was in the audience and I was performing on the showcase and I saw him in the front row and I couldn't look at him because I was so scared. Because uh-huh. I was like, that's Dick Cavett. Yeah. And I saw him after. I met him after backstage and I go, uh, Dude, I just I just got your com- comedians box set where you interview all the comics. Right. I, I'm such a fan, dude. I love I love you, man. And he's like, and he goes, "You're very funny." And I was like, "Oh, thanks, man." And he goes, "I'd like to see more of you, young man." Oh, what a problematic fade phrase, right? He's like, dude, it was such like a Dick Cavett thing, right? And he goes, uh, he tells me this story about uh, meeting Jack Benny. Right. He goes, I was a page at NBC and. I That's was, where you just sit back and go, wow, I think Gavin's going to tell me a Jack Benny yeah. yeah. And he goes, I get into an elevator with Jack Benny. And, uh, <laughs> and he, goes, he goes, there's a woman there. And she's asking him every cliche question in the book. And she's saying, uh, uh, Jack, are you really cheap? Do you really work with Rochester? Right? She's asking all these really. And he said, Jack Benny's just being polite and answering all the questions. 
And he goes, uh, the lady gets off the elevator, and Jack Benny just turns to, to Dick Cavett and goes, you know, kid, sometimes you want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> How great is that? Uh, like, when you hear a guy curse, yeah. my favorite show business story ever is, I'm almost scared to tell it. I think I can tell it. Yeah, tell it's, it. I, my buddy calls me. This is my favorite thing that's ever happened. The only people hearing this are our cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the chick from Alabama. You yeah, did. the girl from Alabama, <laughs> our cousins. She's yeah. working on her Negro character. <laughs> For her improv group. <laughs> yeah, they're all white sheeps. You know this isn't an improv group, right? <laughs> yeah, anyway. So we go... Uh, I, I, my buddy calls me. He was tour managing for Brian Regan. Who? I mean, is there any funnier person on planet Earth? Brian Regan is about as good as a stand-up comic can be. Yeah, and he's. If you're not familiar with him, he's the he's the cleanest comic of all time. Right, and, like cleaner than Cosby. Yeah, and like literally gut wrenchingly funny. He's got one of the best deliveries ever. Yeah. yeah. So, I, my buddy calls me. and Goes, I'm doing a. Uh, I'm, t- I'm tour managing Regan. And I go, cool. And he goes, well, our last show's in Jersey tonight. We're going into New York to stay for the night. Come drink with me and Regan. I'm like, fuck, yeah, uh, yeah man. That sounds fun. So we go meet at this bar. We're putting back whiskeys. We're getting pretty drunk. We're having a good time. A lot of laughs. And my buddy starts telling us this story. And he's like, so, so last time I was in New York, a few years back, uh, I meet these two girls, and we're all making out in a bar together. The three of us are all making out. And we end up back on my couch, and we're all making out on the couch. <laughs> and I go, I love this story. This is a great story. I love it. And he goes, don't get too excited. It doesn't end the way you think it does. <laughs> right? And I go, how does it not end the way I think it does? How did you fuck this up? And Brian Regan, who's been quiet through the whole story, picks up his whiskey and he goes, then I decided to call them both cunts. <laughs> and sips his whiskey in the Brian Regan punchline voice. And I was like, it was so fucking funny. They're both never, cunts. I've never even heard the guy say damn it before. Right, right. <laughs> Well, that's when it works. That's why you gotta be. You gotta. You gotta pick and choose your moments. Yeah. You talk about funny interviews. Magic Johnson, that talk show, Magic Johnson. That was. A, that was. That was right before I got on the Stern Show. That was a golden era of the Howard Stern Show because while Magic Johnson had that talk show, the next morning Howard would basically essentially play the whole show back and just goof <laughs> on every single syllable. That came out of Magic Johnson. And you realize, you know, like that first show Magic Johnson had Whitney Houston on. And uh, and and <laughs> who was his sidekick? The comic, Greg Shoemaker. Greg Shoemaker. It was? It was Greg Shoemaker was his, was his Greg sidekick. Greg Shoemaker was the sidekick on the Magic, on the Magic Johnson show. He's a yeah. Philly guy. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I like I like Greg, but it was funny. On the first show, it's just, it's, it's disproportionate because it's Magic Johnson, Whitney Houston, and Greg Shoemaker. Like, you, there's a three shot of them at the end of the show. Right. And it's like, it's two of the most famous people on the planet. And then a guy who has a 1030 at the Laugh Factory. Right. You know? <laughs> Right. So one time, and when Howard, again, I don't know if he could even get away with the way politically correct, I mean, he basically was saying, he was pointing out the obvious that, look, Magic Johnson's one of the greatest basketball players ever, right. but he's illiterate. Right. I mean, obviously, he's right. proving that he's illiterate, and it's a train wreck, it's got to end, right. I'm, gonna make, I'm trying to help this end, right. you know. Right. I'm actually doing him a favor, because it's embarrassing. Uh-huh. Ving Rhames was on, okay? So, Magic Johnson, I'm not even exaggerating, like uh-huh. Magic Johnson goes... Then you're a great actor. What's a role? What's a what's a role you've never played that would be a great role? Like what's the one role that you would say this is the best role ever? Like a dream role? Like as an actor. 
actor, you want a role, right? I've never acted, but you want a role, a great role. <laughs> like in basketball, you want a great shot or a great pass. And acting, you want a role. What's a great role that Ving Rhames wants? What's your favorite? What's your ultimate role for you as an actor? What role? You, he said role 50,000 times. I'm not following. Ving what's Rames, he trying to say? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. What's your favorite role that you want? Right, right, so right. Ving Rhames pauses and real serious, pretentious goes, I'd like to play Jesus Christ. Right. And then there's a big applause, like right. Arsenio Hall type. Like, ah, that dies down. And Matthew Johnson claps his hand, puts a big smile on his face and goes, now that's a roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking hilarious. Holy shit. That's so funny. <laughs> Now that's a roll. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I gotta, I gotta pee real bad. All right, let's 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 cut this uh, for. How long have we been talking? This has been fun. Fifty <laughs> minutes. Oh wow. 50, oh yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. let's uh, we'll wrap it up. We'll take a leak. And, yeah. I can wait. I can now take a leak and, and then, then we'll, we'll come back. Yeah, right. we got technology. Stop it, Dan. We're back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I took a pee. Yeah. What's the name of your podcast, Joe? It's called Down with Joe DeRosa. Oh, cool. All right. So this will be. This is an episode. Yeah, we're both. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to uh, because if we do another interview as if it's the other guy's podcast, it's it's not going to be any different than this. Probably won't get any better. <laughs> no, no. And yours is called the. Is this just called the Artie Lang Show? Artie Quitter. Artie Lang, Lang Uncensored. Artie Lang Uncensored. Is that what it's officially mm-hmm. called? It's been on three months. I don't know the title. <laughs> I'm a bit of a mess. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, I'm a bit of a mess. I'm smoking a cigarette in a hotel room, a five-star hotel where you get a thousand-dollar fine. Hey, where you know you're out of control. When you got it, flaunt it, baby. Yeah, but I don't have it anymore. <laughs> you want because I keep getting thousand-dollar fines. Sure, I'll pay another grand for you to have a cigarette. <laughs> They, they give you a smoking charge. You get fined in four seasons in rich coffers. You know, sir, if you have a... It's always like a guy with, talking to you like this. Sir, if you, know, if you have a cigarette, we saw some ashes. It's $1,000. You won't get charged per cigarette, though. Uh, no, you're fine. We can split this down the middle. They might test, <laughs> test the DNA. 500 each. Now, go ahead. Yeah. Now, being in San Francisco, I, I just... I, again, I'm at the Mandarin Oriental. It's a beautiful hotel. This is one of my favorite hotels in the... In the uh, in the country. It's great here. The view is insane. And uh, right across the street, uh, I, I guess I had a very San Francisco, but maybe more of a modern world experience. I don't go into a lot of gyms, another bulletin, uh, but I went across the street to this Equinox gym. It's an old Bank of America that they kept the pillars up. It's this huge building and they made it a gym. And uh, I walked in on a charity spin class, men and women in bright fluorescent green biker shorts and men with pom poms, uh, like on a spin class with an instructor in front of them with one of those like wireless mics like Nick Cannon uses for stand up. Right. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and there's these guys, you know, who are there with women under the guise of being heterosexual men. They have green fluorescent pom poms right. singing along to live version of Rolling with the Deep by Adele. And so, yeah, it's like, we could have had it all. Really? Now, I'm rolling with deep. And I walked in there, and I, I, I honestly am more scared of those people than I have ever been of people in a drug den because, or an after-hours club or a gambling hall. Because like, of the utter positivity? Yeah, because there's something vacant behind those faces. There's something dishonest behind the, the, the spin class face. The spin class That's face. not behind the guy getting high. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know what I mean? There's something dishonest about them. The, They're fucking hiding something the, that the guy with the whore and playing blackjack with a line of coke on his key is not hiding from me. Right. The guy with the green pom-pom singing Adele on it in a spin class is hiding something. I will say that, I know what it is. I will say that, I, that I've always um, been weary of... Like comics that don't drink and stuff. Yeah, well, now, like, I'm not talking. I know. I, I I have the. I totally know what you're talking about. I'm not talking about if you went to the edge and you had to stop. But like the right. guys that are just like I don't. Eh, I'm like. I used to have a bit in my act. I go. So you look at this world and you go. Yeah, it looks good to me. I don't need to fog <laughs> that up at all. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't understand. Like it's it's just like an odd thing. But but, but you're right. Here that is you just you just nailed it. And I never was able to put my finger on it. It's. There's something very honest about somebody that's like, hey, you want to do a bump in the bathroom? You're like, this guy's got nothing to hide. They're naked in front of you, man. They're like, look, I got to do this right now. You want to do it with me or I'm going to do it in front of you and not care what you think. Right, right. I can't I can't fake life anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just I'm, like, you know, and in that one moment, you probably know more about that fucking guy than a guy who's known him for 35 years might know. Yeah. I remember, you know, when I was 12 and I, I, I got a dice, the day the laughter died by dice, which is yeah. potentially my favorite comedy oh, album of all bust. time. It's the best. And, uh, Got to give it up for Rick Rubin. There, oh my God. maybe that's who Cool Keith was talking about. Rick Rubin. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But, but, but but having that idea for Dice plays the Garden. For you guys that don't know, Andrew Dice plays sold out Madison Square Garden. Rick Rubin, the legendary the Def, Def Jam guy, uh, Russell Simmons' original partner, uh, had the idea. And tell me if I'm wrong. But he had the idea right after you sell out the Garden at one a.m. You're going to walk into Dangerfield's Comedy Club, just walk in in front of like seven people and do your act and bomb for an hour. Tony, and that's that's going to be the album, yeah. not the Garden. Right. Tony at Dangerfield's told me uh, that he, he. I only met that guy one or two times, but when I met him, he told me the story because I go, "This is where this, that album is amazing." To right. Me. And he goes, "Yeah, they came in the day before, and they were like, if there's more than thirty people here tomorrow night, we're not doing it.'" Wow. And he said they did it for like two nights like that. Dude, that was, I think the one they used was like seven people. Well, when he's talking to the couple from Ohio, like, oh what are you doing God. here? Yeah. You here to see the tree? It's Christmas time? Yeah, I know. It's there's the best. no fucking trees in Ohio. Yeah, you were going to see the tree. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> but I loved, I remember the 12 year old, I loved the part where he just goes, it's not even a joke. He just goes, he goes, he goes, hookers, porn, <laughs> strippers. I love all that shit. And I was like, I just, I was like, I love how fucking honest that. Yeah, I mean, the I thing just, is, people forget about Dices. I mean, he's a real wordsmith, that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a real, he's a comedian. You know, yeah. and it's like he's a real performer. He's doing bits by the end of that album that literally sound like Andy Kaufman bits. Yeah. They're so weird and they're killing and you're like, I don't even know why. He says at one point, he goes, you don't know why the fuck you're laughing. I don't know what I'm talking about. And you're like, I, I, you're right. I don't know. Yeah, but it's yeah, funny. Yeah. You know? He has that one bit where he goes, so I'm sitting in the third grade and the teacher says to me, Andrew, what's the difference between three eights and four eights? And I'm like, yeah. What's the difference? <laughs> now come over here and blow me. <laughs> Nothing funnier than that. Yeah. One of my favorite dice jokes was the one where he, he was talking about when you see like, like you know, like spousal abuse in the in the media, or whatever. Right. And he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I get it. It's bad. You know, you should get hit it. on chicks and stuff. And he goes, uh, he goes, but we only see one side of it. <laughs> Nobody ever asks what the fuck did this chick say. <laughs> That made him pick her up over his head and toss her down a flight of stairs. Uh, 
Did you ever hear the Dana Gould thing? No. Uh, the, the, About hitting a woman? Uh, yeah, the Black Dahlia thing? <laughs> no. Dude, Dana Gould. Maybe. He's a brilliant guy. He's yeah. just one of my favorite comics. I ever. like Dana, yeah. He does this whole thing about the Black Dahlia murder. Right. Yeah. He tells the whole description of the like legendary that. murder in the 1940s in Los Angeles yeah. where a woman was dismembered and they yeah. never they never caught the This guy. is why you're better at podcasting than me. I just assume everybody knows what I'm talking well, about. I'm doing it for my audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's probably why my listenership hasn't gone up. Uh, anyway, so I, I uh, he does this whole thing in his new special about the Black Dahlia murder and he tells the whole story. And dude, there's not a Fuck, there's not supposed to be a laugh. Right. It's so dark. And he's, and he's going through the whole thing and he goes, her, her body is cut in half. Her face cut ear to ear Jesus with an eerie grin to, as if it was mocking the very horror that had befallen her. He's going through every horrible thing. There's dead silence there. And he goes, and to this day, police still do not know what she did to deserve it. And he goes, it must have been a duty. Kinnison had one where he goes, uh, you know, uh, I don't condone hitting a woman. I understand it. <laughs> Kinnison's shit about women uh, is the most honest. The, the bit where he breaks up with the chick, he cheats on her and breaks her heart, and he he thinks like it's over, but right. he's like, nah, nah, she had one more thing in yeah, store for uh, me, and she puts the gun in the suitcase. Yeah. And <laughs> I watched that with my mom. She had never seen it. I'm like, Mom, you got to see this. We watched it. Of course. My mom's a religious lady, too. She was laughing. She was laughing. Later, she's like, you know, that Kinnison stuff. She was telling my aunt. She's like, he's funny. It's dirty, but it's funny. Kinnison had the best line and the best description of fame. Someone asked him why Whoopi Goldberg was famous, and he said, America got together and agreed not to hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, my <laughs> God. Really? That supposedly is Kinnison's line about Whoopi Goldberg. What was his beef? Did he have a beef with her? Yeah. Or, or was it just he just didn't like her? I think I think they probably clashed on some level. You Did know? you ever hear this? I just read the book, Brother Sam. My mom right. got it yeah, from yeah. two Christmases ago. I haven't read that it's good. His brother wrote it. It's just, you know, there. some people claim that it's a bit falsified, but right. I don't know. But, like, the stories in it are fucking insane, yeah. obviously. They're Sam Kinison stories. But there's the thing about him. He had a real, like, feud with Joan Rivers because he didn't, like, show up. Oh, God. He got yeah. so fucked up. And, and he, he said, well, that was a, that's a legendary Stern thing. Yeah. Because he did Stern in the morning. He was supposed to do Joan yeah. Rivers that afternoon, and he claimed he had bad Chinese food and right. couldn't make it, which yeah. is a great drug addict mm-hmm. excuse. That's one of my favorite yeah. drugs. The bad food thing is the yeah. best. Yeah, I love when Jeremy Piven dropped out of... Uh, uh, speed the plow on Broadway, and he goes, "You got too much mercury in my blood. Yeah, uh, too much sushi." And then they, page six had pictures of him out drinking the next night or okay. whatever. Okay, yeah. Jeremy. Yeah, fucking hilarious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she went to his hotel with the TV crew, and she like, did she showed up? I want to talk to him, and he, yeah, he went, and of course, he, he had a feud with everybody because yeah. you know that, that's what happens. Do you he, like he, you start to lie to everyone in your life? I think the first. Two albums are brilliant, and then after that, there's there, there are like good jokes on the on the future yeah. albums, but it, he just seems like he. It's almost like he wasn't writing or anything. Well, he was one, just kind the, of going up there. The you know? one they put out, someone I don't know who put it out. Maybe his brother put it out for money. That uh, they put out after he died because they they would have been sued by everyone he talks about if he was still alive. Right. Posthumously, they they released an album and the Italian just calls Arnold Schwarzenegger gay. Like, yeah, he sucked cock when he got to Hollywood. Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. Like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I think like, it's called it's called um, 
uh, live from hell or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's got like it's him on the front with the. He that's the one where he gets real like political. He starts talking about like it's the first Iraq war. Or something. It's almost like almost like the Lenny Bruce thing when he was just reading the court transcripts. Yeah, and, you yeah, know? yeah, uh, yeah. You start you start to lose your mind and shit, and then you start to you know. You start to hate the people who are fans of yours. That that that's when that to me that's when you officially know you're a comedian. If you can actually hate somebody for liking you, right? You know, I won't I won't say his name, but I met a comic. I did a show once with a comic who is immensely famous, and uh, I said, uh, "He goes, I'm so tired of this shit." And I go, <laughs> "Why?" And he goes. I just hate the audience so fucking much. And I was like, oh, shit, this guy, this guy doesn't have a horn. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's, uh, you, because you don't realize how jaded you become. It's, it's just, it's kind of a journey you take mentally. And again, I don't trust the people who don't go crazy. I don't right. trust the people that aren't nuts. Right, right. Well, yeah. I remember Okerson said to me once, he goes, you got to have a little dirt on you or they're just... Be like, who do you trust more, Ryan Seacrest or that guy, the comic who said that to you? Exactly. exactly. One guy's being honest, the other guy is a caricature. But exactly. that line about Whoopi Goldberg is the greatest explanation of fame I've ever heard in my life, whether you agree with it or not. Right, right. America got together and agreed not to hurt somebody's feelings. <laughs> it's just fucking unbelievable. First of all, it's the most scathing, mean thing you can say. Secondly, yeah. it's kind of accurate. Yeah, it's... it's, it's <laughs> that's a rough swing, that one. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's one that'll that hurt you. <laughs> I'll hurt you, man. You're not going to come up from that. Uh, Good, sure. No, go ahead. I was, uh, you know what? It was a dumb question. I was saying, we're in San Francisco, and uh, oh, yeah. you're at the punchline. I'm at this place, Cobbs. Yeah, um, I'm over in Chinatown. Right. And there's just massage parlors everywhere over there. It's <laughs> yeah. insane. It, people, like, San Francisco is still, like, like we're, we're, we're the place to come hang. You know? Yeah, I've been yeah. saying on stage every night. I'm like, guys, hide it a little bit. Jesus <laughs> Christ. These fucking things say, like, come on in for a touch of ecstasy. <laughs> whirlpool bath. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whirlpool bath. It's like, yeah, no, this is this is legit. This well, is where you, the athletes You can get go. a whirlpool bath and uh, <laughs> shrimp and broccoli. Right, right. <laughs> uh, we, me, yeah, me and Joe uh, and Danny and my buddy Timmy, we, we went to eat at a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown yeah. yesterday. And Joe and I walked back to the hotel together. And we passed by a guy who looked like Ratso Rizzo. He looked like Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy. How great was that? And, and he stunk. Like, yeah. you, you were closer yeah. to him. Yeah. But you, he was ripe. He stunk. I and he just was in front of a spa. Uh-huh. An Asian, it said Asian spa. Yeah. And he's in front of it. And, and he just, uh, you know. He's clearly the guy that barks you in. It's the only thing that guy could have been doing. Which is what Al Capone did when he first moved to Chicago. Really? Yeah, he stood in front of a speakeasy on Wabash, and it was his job to get people to come in. Pretty persuasive, I yeah. If Al Capone's saying, come on, come on, guys. Talk about creating a monster. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It is a, yeah. This is a good town. It's, it's, I've always liked it here. I have a lot of history here. You know, I like it here. What's, what, what's, what, are, what is your history here? Well, I mean, you know, doing stand-up and stuff. I, there's a story I tell about Norm. Uh, I opened up for Norm at the Palace of the Fine Arches. When Dirty Work came out in 1998, MGM sent us on a tour two two horrible degenerate gamblers we had all these bets in with these bookies on the uh, it was June it was the NBA finals between the Utah Jazz and the Bulls and we would perform and every night we had like 40 grand on the games and Holy we shit. would watch them just nervously like at the end like in these they put us up in Rich Carlton's because MGM was footing the bill for everything right and we did about seven cities so we came to San Francisco and I had only done a club here 
and Norm says, comes out to me. And this was good. Norm just loved torturing people. And he does it in the most brilliant way. Right. He comes out to me and goes, listen, man, we're in fucking San Francisco. No gay shit. <laughs> and I go, uh, oh, all right. Well, I said, I've played San Francisco before. He goes, nah, that's like you're at a club. There's a fucking theater, man. There's critics out there. Don't fuck me, man. No gay shit. And I go, all right, all right, fine. And so I go, all right, 20 minutes. And no, I have four seconds at that point in my life without gay. So, <laughs> so I get through the 20 minutes. I introduce Norm. Norm walks out, and I'm listening from the back. Before he says, good to be here, you're a great crowd, nice to be here. The first thing that comes out of his mouth, hey, how about that AIDS? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you know, I read all this bad shit about AIDS, but then I read that AIDS doesn't discriminate. <laughs> and that, that's kind of nice. <laughs> And then like 10 seconds goes by and this is what you hear him say, where are you going? <laughs> he walked like half the room with the first joke. After he tortured Jesus me, no gay talk, the first joke out of his mouth. That's so fucking funny. But I shot a movie here, the most mainstream film I've ever done. I lived for two months at the Park Hyatt here shooting a, a romantic comedy. It was like my chance at being a movie star after dirty work and... Everything I did what was bombed. It? it was a movie called The Bachelor with Chris O'Donnell. Oh yeah, and I remember that. Renee yeah. Zellweger. Yeah, yeah. And I'm the third lead. I play O'Donnell's best friend. So they yeah. put me up here. It was like that that you know Warner Brothers New Line Cinema. Uh, and I lived here, just living it up with a per diem and getting paid. And uh, I never forget. I, I thought Renee Zellweger. I had lunch with her every day, and I thought I, I thought she was attracted to me. I right. swear, Joe. I swear to you. I right. think I could have fucked. Her. Yeah. I made the mistake of telling Chris O'Donnell. That. Right. When I told him that, he looked at me as if I just said, listen, I built the ladder to the moon. <laughs> and I'm thinking about walking up a ladder that I built to get to the moon. So and he said to me, Art, Renee's a big star. If we lose her because you come on to her, I'm going to have you killed. <laughs> <laughs> for, Chris, uh, for Chris O'Donnell, like that, that's the most edgy I've ever seen him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's and, great. Uh, so I refrained. That's great. That's fucking hilarious. I wish I could end by saying I fucked Renee Zellweger. I have a, I have a funny, uh, I have a great Norm story. Yeah. Uh, we were, I, I, he was in, we were in Atlanta at the same time, like a month or two ago. Right. And I never met him. My friend Sean O'Connor has written for a bunch of his stuff on TV yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and tours with him. So Sean's like, let's meet up and hang out for lunch. So I go, and then Norm's there. And I'm like, oh, right. cool, man. So we end up hanging out with Norm the whole day. Right, right. We did my podcast. Right, right, right. We had a great time. But we were talking about Prozac. <laughs> and I go, I go, uh, yeah, you know, it's really changed my life. And, da, da, da. and he goes, you know, uh, it uh, increases your uh, chances of uh, heart cancer. <laughs> And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, hold on. And he looks up the statistic and he goes, yeah, yeah, you got a one in 10,000 chance if you're not on it. And about a one in 5,000 if you are on it, right? And I go, uh, I'm, I'm not worried about that. So I'm like, I'll, I'll, in my head, I go, I'll say it in terms he'll understand. Right. So I go, no, it's casino odds. I'm like, That's, those are great odds. And I go, I go I, I'm not worried about that. I go, think about it. Like 50-50 odds are the best odds you can get in a casino with, right. with roulette. And I go, and even then you still lose half the time. I'm like, or, you know, I'm like oh, those are great odds to not get it. And he goes, yeah, no, that's true. Uh, you know, but if uh, you lose on uh, roulette, you don't get heart cancer. <laughs> Great, great Norm story. He hadn't had a cigarette, or at least he, he hadn't had a cigarette for four years. He quit smoking, right. and uh, uh, he he lost all this money on a football game. You ever hear of Mark Brunel, the quarterback? Mark Brunel, no. yeah, the quarterback, of, you know, in the NFL. And uh, Norm bet on him, and I guess 
you know, it's fucked up. And uh, one of the writers, it was a friend of mine, said he walked in and, you know, Norm supposedly had smoked a cigarette for four years. And Norm was huddled up in the corner at his office at Saturday Night Live, huddled up smoking a cigarette, blowing the smoke out the window. Right. And uh, the kid said to him, Norm, why are you smoking? And he, out of the side of his mouth, he said, ask Mark Brunel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Norm has a lot of like very um he's he's like he's a, he's a kind of poet about life. Like he's very good at like pointing out the obvious right. in the most funny fucking way. They're not even jokes. Right. You know, uh, uh like Norm always said this, this is such an insightful thing about comedy. Normally, said when he was doing Weekend Update or even throughout his years doing stand-up, he would always say to the writers, "My, I would love, to me, the perfect joke is the setup and the punchline are the exact same thing. Right. That, to me, is a perfect joke. And he goes, we only came close once. Right. Julia Roberts was married to Lyle Lovett for a while. Right. So uh, Julia Roberts announces she's going to divorce Lyle Lovett. So the joke is, Norm goes, uh, uh, Julia Roberts announced today that uh, she's ending her marriage to Lyle Lovett. She wants a divorce from Lyle Lovett. When asked for the reason, she said, uh, because I'm Julia Roberts and he's Lyle Lovett. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, it's, it's, like, it's not even a pleasure, but it's just like like pointing out. And with gambling, he's so philosophical about like he, he can wax poetic about gambling and why right. it's fun and why you need it. And, and then but why you need to lose too, right. You know, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he goes, you show me a winner and I'll show you a guy who's not a gambler. Right. Right. You know? DePaulo's got that great bit that follows that exact formula of where he goes. He goes. I read the other day that uh, eating hot dogs causes cancer. And he goes, let me tell you something, folks. Eating hot dogs doesn't cause cancer. You know what causes cancer? Stress. You know what causes stress? Worry. You know what causes worry? Telling people that eating hot dogs causes cancer. <laughs> exactly. Perfect full circle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I got well, Joe, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun, man. It was a blast. And, uh, Joe is, uh, I got to say, man, uh, I, I, I got to know Joe a few years ago, and um uh, he was on my direct TV show quite a bit, and he, he might be the guest I had the most fun with on that show because of what we just did here in a more censored uh-huh. version. I, I, Joe's a smart, funny motherfucker. He's one of my favorite comics working, and uh, he's a good man. Thank you, so man. Support, That's, that means a lot. Uh, support Joe. Yeah, you're a funny. You're a good guy. Too. I, I think you're the best, dude. It's it's been so fun getting to know you and hanging out over these last couple of years. Yeah, for the glad, same reasons. Yeah. Glad to see you here in town. And uh, so, what, what you want to plug anything else before we go? Or just I, you know, if yeah. you're if, if you're, I have the podcast down with Joe DeRosa. So, and if you're already listening to this through that, yeah, go mine is already yeah. go to artytwitter.com. One word. It's my Twitter, and you can sign up for my podcast. And it has all my my stand up. Yeah, there you go. Right. Mine's yeah. on all things comedy. So there you go. Thanks, Joe. Thanks.